0: Welcome to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week I speak to people who fund and support social innovation in different ways. Grant providers, impact investors of various kinds, angel investors, foundations, family offices and more. They talk frankly about how they work, how they make investment, grant and funding decisions, what they will invest in or support and what they cannot. They talk about the pros and cons of different sources of funding, share lessons and insights and provide invaluable advice for any social entrepreneur innovator looking to build and finance a sustainable social business. I'm very pleased today to introduce Garvin J. Bush to the podcast. Garvin is the chief investment officer for Green Alpha Advisors, a U.S. asset management firm that aims to use science-driven, fundamentals-based research to invest in companies whose innovative products and services will enable the transition towards a sustainable economy. Prior to co-founding Green Alpha, Garvin worked at Forward Management, where he managed the Sierra Club Stock Fund and the Sierra Club Equity Income Fund. Earlier, Garvin served as Vice President of Strategic Services at Morgan Stanley. Thank you very much, Garvin, for taking the time to, to speak to me today for the podcast. Hey, thank you, Fergal. I'm happy to be here. Great. So you're Chief Investment Officer for Green Alpha Advisors, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about about the the kind of uh, projects you invest in, and get your sense of what the lay of the land is uh, with respect to investment uh, in sustainability and related areas, and um, uh, you know what what Green Alpha is up to, and, and some of the projects that you're 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 excited by. Um, a good place to start maybe is if you talk a little bit about your background and how you became involved in Green Alpha.
1: Uh, Sure, happy to. Uh, My background's a little bit different in the realm of investment management and asset management. Uh, I started uh, in graduate school uh, working in physical anthropology and archaeology. I was on a a PhD track there, but I'm one of these uh, folks that never quite finished that and uh, left that a little bit before completing my dissertation. So I did years in graduate school in physical anthro and and archaeology. And I think that's one of the things That ultimately uh, led me, along with my co-founder, Jeremy Deems, to start Green Alpha because we both, each in our own way, bring an interdisciplinary, uh, outside of the uh, normal investment management box uh, way of thinking uh, about uh, constructing portfolios and about what risk really means and and how one should think about defining risk, especially around sustainability and in these times that are changing so fast and and changing both in terms of the large-scale systemic risks, we face around climate change and resource degradation and et cetera, but also around civilization and, and the global economy's ability to rise up to meet those challenges with advancing innovation and tech yes so from yeah uh, so for my doctoral program uh i went on to do a master's in global finance and uh and international management and uh then uh, started at morgan stanley uh subsequently uh, after a few years at Morgan doing very much the traditional investment management thing, learning my craft, uh, I went on to a firm in San Francisco, uh, called forward funds, which is where uh, I met my co-founder, Jeremy. And there I got my first start with, with green investing. And that was with a mutual fund called the Sierra club stock fund, which was a co-brounded, co-branded, uh, um, regular 1940 act here in the States, uh, mutual fund that was designed to be large core, meaning a lot like the S and P 500, but much more green. So it was what I, I think of, and you probably are very familiar with, uh, for a uh, uh, sort of green investing 1.0, just negative screening, uh, grab an index or a benchmark and then hack away at it until it looks a little bit more green. Um, and that was the state of the industry then, and, and I think in many places it still is. And one of the reasons we decided to found Green Alpha was that we started to notice that we, we didn't think that that approach and that methodology was terribly sufficient. Uh, what I'm fond of saying is I don't think you can grab a legacy economy index and then try to Frankenstein it into something green. So our idea was that, well, let's don't try that. Let's Let's give up on negative screening. And rather than start with a benchmark and select our favorite stocks from that, let's just start with a blank sheet of paper and to build up a portfolio that reflects a sustainable economy, ideally an economy that could thrive indefinitely without colliding into our big systemic risks. uh, Let's model what that economy can look like and then start to build portfolios that reflect that economy right now. So just skip the whole idea, honestly, of ESG rankings and negative screening and go right to modeling what the future can look like and, and build our portfolios on that basis. Right. So that's, that's really where we came from. Yeah, I hope that, that was a good answer to your uh, opening yes. question.
0: Yes, absolutely. And to what extent was your interest in this um, more financial? To what extent was this values led? To what extent was this? You know, somebody might have discovered, you know, a new, uh, you know, a new a, a, a new, a patented ice cream, you know, uh, market or something like that. You know, very attractive uh, barriers to entry, all kinds of things, um, you know, which could be quite lucrative. Um, in a, s- a similar way, you know, there are all kinds of, I guess, technology-related niches as well that have, you know, in- interesting investment characteristics. To what extent was your interest in 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 green investing? Around some of the dynamics of the, the the actual marketplace and the returns you could expect, uh, and to what extent was it you know more values led?
1: It's really both and Fergal. We we think that those things are increasingly becoming uh, uh, inextricable from one another. Uh, I I love something that uh, Lord Stern said. Uh, I think not too far from where you're you're sitting, he was lecturing the LSE. And he said, you know, the economics, this is a paraphrase. I'm not looking at his quote, (laughs) but he said something like the economics of sustainability are really the only economics available to us going forward, because any sort of an economy fueled by the destructive energies of the past, such as fossil fuels, will inevitably self-destruct. So really, for the economy to continue growing indefinitely, there's only one way forward. Uh, That way also happens to serve the cause of sustainability. So I very much believe it's both and. I do think that there are very competitive returns to be earned in the space, uh, provided one has a very disciplined methodology. And secondly, uh, I think that new innovations, uh, better ways of doing business, uh, more efficient, more economically productive means of production, uh, also uh, make the economy more and more sustainable. And I, I could expand a little bit on that
0: if you like. Well, we, I, I think that is interesting, and we will come back to that, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm interested okay. to talk more. I, I, so you set up Green Alpha Advisors, and, and um, so you tell me a little bit about uh, who, who's, whose money is invested here and, and what kind of things are you investing in? Uh,
1: certainly. Hey, I apologize for the pause there. My, my call waiting actually went off. But I think I know what you were asking me, um, and that is who, what generally what our what our clients are and, and why they invest with us. That's right. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, we have uh, clients from all over the economy. Uh, really, we've got several strategies that we manage, and four of them are available as separately managed accounts. So they're uh, a little bit higher minimum initial investment required, and those tend to attract clients. Uh, like family offices and institutions, and uh, and things like uh, endowments. And then we also have uh, a mutual fund that is just a regular mutual fund that has a much lower uh, initial investment required as most funds do. It has a ticker symbol. So, you know, folks can just log on to their, you know, E-Trade or Ameritrade or Schwab accounts and buy uh, some shares. And the, and the initial uh, requirement there is only $1,000. So, uh, we have a lots of individual retail clients as well that are just very interested in this idea of, of benefiting from the growth of the sustainable economy. And the reasons they come to us vary, you know, it's very much like your previous question. Uh, they vary from, well, I'm just ideologically aligned. I love the idea of sustainability to uh, I think this is where growth is going to occur. I, I think these are the growth sectors of the future. And, and finally, uh, since we didn't, uh, build any of our strategies around the idea of correlating with the benchmark. As I kind of started getting to uh, uh, earlier, we don't correlate very well. What's that uh, mean?
0: What's that mean? Why is that
1: important? Oh, sure. Well, it all has to do with uh, a portfolio's tracking error versus uh, a benchmark. So a commonly known benchmark, of course, uh, here is the S&P 500, and a lot of people get nervous about portfolios that don't uh track that benchmark very closely in other words that have returns that look an awful lot like the S&P 500's uh that is considered by many to be the very definition of low risk if you uh if you very closely uh hew to the returns of something like the S&P 500 well we uh we very deliberately don't do that uh because you know the S&P 500 is the legacy economy it contains 60 fossil fuels companies and and any other, uh, any number of other uh, large systemic risks. So the last thing I want to do is correlate with that. And so we don't. Uh, So for some of our clients and prospects, that's a little bit scary because they think, well, uh, I, I might be taking a little bit more risk than if I simply just bought the index. Other investors, however, particularly some institutions, love that we don't correlate and they view our strategies as a nice bit of portfolio diversification.
0: So,
1: that, those are the three main reasons people, uh, people like to invest with us.
0: Right, right. And what kind of sums of money do you have uh, under management? Uh, we just
1: are now approaching $120 million. So, we're still relatively uh, new, marketing ourselves to the world in terms of being out there in, in front of people trying to sell. Uh, and, and we've got a, kind of a radically different strategy. So, uh, we're actually, uh, even though that's, that's quite small still, we're actually very pleased with our growth. Uh, that's up from a standing start of about two million four and a half years ago, so we're we're very we're very pleased with our growth rate and and we're looking forward to growing further uh, as our portfolios continue to uh, to be competitive.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, h- how big a change is going on? I mean, you will have been you know in at an earlier stage, but nowadays you see people like Larry Fink at BlackRock, you see State Street, you see some of the biggest. Uh, investment managers in the world talking about sustainability talking about m- talking about more than the risk side of things but certainly talking about the risk side of things in an important way but also talking about sustainability how much of that uh, is, is do you think is talk where are they in the you know the the the, the, the cycle what wh- what do you think are a key a few key changes that are underway at the moment and, and how big a change do you think th- that is?
1: Well, that's that's an outstanding question, and uh, and thank you for asking it because it's it's the kind of thing I I really like to address because there's a lot of topics in there. Uh, first, I am just so pleased that large scale money is is coming around to the idea of sustainability and other types of of uh, of social and and governance uh, factors as well. Uh, such as, uh, you know, Larry, think in particular is, is promoting the idea of more women in executive ranks in corporate America and globally, and more uh, more women serving on boards. This isn't strictly speaking a sustainability issue, which is where we focus, but it still is. It's very refreshing and, and welcome to hear from, you know, a six trillion dollar manager. Um, that said, where it comes up short, in my opinion, is that you know most of Larry thinks firm, most of what they manage is indexed, meaning their hands are sort of tied in terms of what stocks they can actually hold. They have to hold the constituents of the big indexes that they are designed to track, which kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. So, for example, if they really dislike the actions of company X, y Z, but that is a large constituent of the s and p five hundred, well, they're not at liberty to sell it because they think that that company is going to be at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, in light of its regressive policies, uh, all they can really do is vote their proxies and do things like uh, vote against board members or vote against uh, management proposals. This does give them some leverage, and it is somewhat uh, powerful, especially at the scale uh, of BlackRock, but
0: it's uh, it's,
1: uh, minimal compared to a threat of divesting.
0: Yes, yes, well you know, I guess well, yes, yeah, I guess BlackRock is a particular case with the, the the passive uh portfolios and so forth. but do you think generally that the institutional investors have done a good job in America of holding companies to account for their actions?
1: Generally, no, not really no. Uh, I, I like that there is progress in that direction, but I think we're still so far. From any kind of true accountability around what I would deem constitutes the real, genuine systemic risks that have the power to undermine the global economy over time, uh, that I, I would, uh, what I would point to in particular is even some funds that market themselves as green or as sustainable uh, still so hold some very uh, notably bad actors, and to me uh, this is is an indication that we're still in an era where there's more green washing than actual green portfolio management. Although, again, I am pleased to see the tide is turning. You know, when we started Green Alpha, people openly just laughed at the idea of sustainability-focused investing. Uh, we were told it was a waste of time, and what are you doing? And just in the last couple of years, the phone rings a lot more, and there are advisors and other professionals on the other end saying, help me understand this because I need to integrate it into my practice. So the world is changing, for a bill, no question about it, but uh, for, in my opinion, uh, the change is a little bit too slow to be commensurate
0: with the risks that we really do face. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, do you see yourself as an impact investor? You know, it's funny because
1: yes, but I also bristle a little bit when we get labeled ESG, Uh, Because while we are just exclusively focused on sustainability, and obviously that does have impact, uh, I also, uh, again, I just think that investing in the innovative, sustainability-focused economy is really the only way forward for long-term competitive returns. So I think we've simply assimilated everything we know about the world and the global economy and the risks and opportunities it's presenting us right now, and have put together uh, what to the best of our abilities, what we think is the most optimal strategy that we can going forward. Uh, I, I just think, yeah, a very productive, highly efficient, connected, indefinitely sustainable economy. Yes, that's what we invest in, not because we're ESG, but because as opposed to what?
0: Why? Why does the ESG thing worry you? Why does the 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 name hanging over the 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 echo or the 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 shadow? What, what's what's what is the? This comes to the heart of a, an important question uh, coming more from an impact investment side, which is this question of market returns, and you know to what extent a firm yeah. is looking for market returns. And on the one hand, you hear voices saying, "Well, um, you know, we should be able to make." market returns, you know, and saying that, you know, uh, finance now can do good and make money at the same time. And there's undoubtedly, you know, an argument that that, that uh, investors want to make about that. And yet, on the other hand, there is very strong uh, argument about the 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 need for um I guess what you'd call concessionary capital capital that you know is uh willing to uh take uh l- lower returns or uh higher risks uh for for impact for uh mission led uh you know v- values led investment uh cuz clearly you know you can't expect people you know to make money to 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 hope to make money to i mean to make market returns from you know eliminating poverty you know providing sanitation you know some of these basic services and and and, and you know fundamental aspects that are you know at the heart of the SDGs um, you know, expecting to 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 make uh, market returns is 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 I won't say delusional, but um, you are going to end up in a situation as well where the kinds of projects that get financed, um, you know, are those that are seeking to make uh, you know, uh, mar- market returns in, in you know, these social entrepreneurs and things like that, to the neglect of maybe uh, other other s- sectors. So um, other business models, uh, it's a, a lot a lot of uh, intertwined ideas there what's your take on that?
1: Well, in terms of project finance, uh, that's, not, that's not really where we work. We're public equity managers. We, we buy uh, stocks that you can buy on, on exchanges around the world and, and make uh, portfolios of those. So I'm not an expert in project finance. I suspect you're right that there are a lot of very important projects that need to be constructed in order to meet the SDGs that may not have uh, optimal rates of return on them. Some of them are probably more appropriately within the purview of government, and others will be tackled by NGOs. And then, yeah, there's just plain old philanthropy in there as well. Uh, with respect to stock portfolios, why to come, you know, to get to, you, I think you put your finger right on it, to get to what you identify as the heart of the question. Uh, the reason I bristle a little bit at being labeled ESG is simply for that reason. A lot of people will say, well, I could buy an ESG fund, but really what I'm interested in is having better returns. And am I not going to give up a bunch of returns relative to the stock market uh, if I buy an ESG fund? Uh, The reason for that is because historically many ESG funds have underperformed. And on the contrary, I I think that going forward, if you've got a disciplined methodology for picking the most interesting uh, names in terms of their fundamentals and their valuations up front, I think you've got every chance of having very competitive returns that can indeed outstrip the overall markets over the medium and long term. And, and in fact, that's why we named our firm Green Alpha, you know, Alpha alpha referring to the coefficient of, of how much excess return you've earned over the market.
0: Yes, I, I yes, don't think yes.
1: that, that one must underperform at all in stock markets focusing on sustainability. In fact, I think it is the clearest path to long term competitive returns.
0: Yes, and I hear you say that. I I just wonder how important a step do you think that is. I mean, certainly, and and again, I I know. Uh, you, you say that you're an impact investor in in one sense, and um, uh, this is certainly something that's uh, an, an important question. Um, I guess is to what extent you know the capital markets, are, what well, what extent will investors are they willing you know to say well you know some we are willing to. to Get, take less returns to, to create a better world. Not saying that you have to. And certainly, you know, I, I know right. the mill- millennials, for example, there's a, a lot of yeah, money being yeah. transferred to millennials. A lot of millennials are very driven, you know, by purpose, um, mission organizations, values driven organizations. And they are clearly, you know, uh, starting to and will increasingly put their money where their values are. So there will be changes coming from that and that alone but uh i'm I just sorry to, 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 to go on about that I'm just, I was just just finished that off and I'm just curious to to get your sense of that how, how important that is because it is an important question, i guess this question of you know uh, I, I I just think uh, you know what people are willing to to, to to accept in order to build a new world
1: yeah I, I think and uh, well you're you're right about the cohort of millennials, they certainly do seem to care a lot more about about social impact and about environmental impact, not only with how they invest, but with where they work and what they buy and, and really almost every aspect of their, of their lives. And this is a fantastic and welcome development. I, I'm not really sure what the genesis of it is. I, I think maybe because they're the digital you know the first truly digitally native population and they've had access to all the information they could take uh, their whole lives where the rest of us, uh, you know, if we're a little bit older than that, had a period of our lives where we kind of had to accept what an authority told us, you know, like a financial advisor or our parents' wealth advisor. Well, if they just said buy the index fund and send it and forget it, we would do that. A millennial is more likely to say, well, wait a minute, what's in that index? I I love that. And I do think that a lot of them would be more than happy to take slightly lower returns if they – were convinced they were doing the right thing and, and serving the cause of indefinite sustainability, you know, it's them and their kids that are going to have to to live to see a lot of the worst effects of climate change and of resource degradation and of resource scarcity and, and a lot of other scary systemic risks that, that we're being confronted with. Uh, but, but, you know, again, what what I'm suggesting is as the sustainability technologies gain market share away from their old legacy economy predecessors, they won't have to accept lower returns in order to engage with sustainability. I, I think that they'll find they, they do very competitively.
0: Yes, yes, that's very interesting. Now, I'm interested in talking about... To what extent I mean how big a change do you see in the climate of business in America to what extent presumably when you started out there weren't uh, as many companies you could invest in that had embodied these values <laughs> and embodied these goals of sustainability and uh, to what extent and and since you're not involved in the you know the the venture capital uh, area i mean you're, you're presumably talking about pretty large companies by and large um not all of them and, and, and you know but public companies as you say um, how, how, yeah. big, how big a change do you see at the moment?
1: Very. Uh, you're right. The, the number of companies that we perceive as, as qualifying uh, for the next economy, which is our, our internal uh, nomenclature for that, we think of next economics and next economy portfolio theory as being our guiding principles. So for a company to fit within the next economy, uh, it has to be. It's quantitatively driven. It has to be deriving more of its revenues from providing a uh, some sort of a mitigation, or at minimum an adaptation to one of the big systemic risks we were just talking about. Uh, more of its revenue has to be coming from providing a solution uh, than from than than being a cause. For example, so for obvious reasons, therefore we've never invested in fossil fuels because you know they get. 99 or 100 percent of their revenues from from generating a a cause of a systemic risk. Right. So on that basis and, you know, stemming from Lord Stern's philosophy, uh, we don't believe that that business can last indefinitely because uh, either it causes such a great, great amount of risk that the economy is in real trouble or people realize how much risk they're causing and they stop buying their products and stop buying their shares. And therefore, it makes a poor long term investment. Either way, we don't want to be invested in it. So on that basis of next economics, wow, yeah. When we started, it was it was tough to find companies that were net providers of solutions uh, expressed as a function of their revenues. Uh, it's still not you know easy, but there's there's a lot more, and it is because of this phase shift in in the corporate world. Uh, one, some companies are simply becoming far far more sustainable in their operations and in their approach to the world, and indeed in how they view their mission. Uh, two uh new companies are emerging all the time that are just simply dedicated to providing solutions. And that provides us with more fertile ground for investment as well. So it's both evolution of existing firms and emergence of new firms that really is expanding our investable universe uh, every year uh, by by a great amount. We do see some shrinkage as well though, because some fantastic companies are taken private because their investors perceive that they are growing very rapidly, and they'd rather hold it privately and cash in on it themselves uh, rather than just let it float on public stock markets and, and enrich everybody else uh, along the way. Uh, you know, we saw three of the world's largest solar companies last year either go private or make plans to be taken private. So new companies come into our portfolios, and, and some some of our favorites disappear uh, because of M&A or because uh, they were taken private by their by their management teams.
0: Right, right. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, and, and, and you talk about the next economy. Um, now, to what extent, and you mentioned also, I think, uh, or maybe it was on your website, portfolio theory and, and, and ideas of risk and so forth. Um, to yeah. what extent, um, you know, I guess you've got the classical, you know, uh, models of risk and return, which have been at the heart of finance uh, in one way or another um, for for, uh, since, for for many decades. To what extent are those models uh, evolving or do they need to evolve to take into account questions of sustainability?
1: I think they they clearly are evolving. And I think that that's happening more rapidly. Well, first of all, I think venture capital and private equity is already there. They are out there, uh, many of them, uh, looking for what's next and thinking about how the economy is evolving and trying to get in front of the the better mousetrap the next big thing that uh will that will gain market share and lead the way to a more sustainable economy at the same time where you see less of that and this comes back to an earlier question about why we even did this in in founding green alpha uh in public equities you don't see it as much you still see traditional approaches to thinking about risk and measuring risk and Unfortunately, for, uh, for people who, who want to buy green portfolios and who are interested in the stock market, uh, that makes it harder uh, to find uh, a very forward-looking portfolio than it would be, say, if, uh, if, uh, they were, if one were wealthy enough to engage in venture capital. And uh, that's because, like we were talking about earlier, uh, the main way to define risk in public equity markets is how much tracking error you have uh, versus a big index. So as long as public equity managers and you know mutual fund managers uh, of, of public stocks uh, feel feel the need to correlate very closely to an index, uh, they're going to have to hold most of the constituents of that index, and they're not free to think purely in terms of sustainability. They have to think about the old definition of risk, which is well, how much volatility does my portfolio have compared to a big big stock index? And uh, that we think that's the wrong way to think of risk because correlation is one way to measure risk, sure. But Fergal, we all know that there are much bigger risks than that in the world. Uh, We know that there is climate risk. We know there's extreme weather risk. We know that cropland is being degraded. We know that our water, fresh water resources are at risk. And obviously, you and I could go on for a long time listing the risks. But these are real risks uh, to us at Green Alpha. We want to manage to risks that matter. We want to manage to the threats that are actually confronting uh, the the global economy and not worry too much uh, about the squiggly lines on a chart and whether or not they correlate with each other. Uh, We think that this is an outdated way to think about portfolio risk, and it's time for portfolio management to evolve to look a little bit more like private
0: equity. Very interesting. What's the next stage then in the development? Do you think of finance a more sustainable model of finance, a more sustainable where 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 large uh, investors and and you talked about uh, are are more behind this? Uh,
1: you know, I think that firms like firms like ours just need to uh, keep proving that we can have competitive returns. I think uh, as long as we can keep posting competitive numbers. Uh, it will make the more traditional uh, thinkers in the space realize that it is an interesting way to build a portfolio and to look at the world and that they can focus more on sustainability and less on correlation. So if you like, I, I think the proof is in the pudding. And uh, as long as we can and, and other firms like us can keep posting competitive returns, I think we'll keep uh, gaining traction. Uh, secondly, I think the economy is just simply evolving in this direction. And as firms that are providing solutions get larger and larger because they take, again, take market share away from their older competitors. So just for an obvious low-hanging example, you know, think about wind power uh, taking market share away from coal. Uh, This is just uh, an obvious one. Obviously, it's happening in different ways in sectors all across the economy. But as that keeps happening, these new economy firms get larger and larger and then start to find themselves in the big traditional indexes. So what you're going to start to see, and actually we already have, have started to see it some, is big index turnover. And so what that means is even people who think very traditionally about correlating you know, with the S&P 500 being the most important measure of risk, well, that will be less and less risky in real world terms as that index turns over to look more and more like the next economy. Now, that's a 20-year process. So it's But it is very real.
0: Absolutely. 20 years, you mentioned. What about the SDGs? To what extent are they a useful framework for you uh, to think about the kinds of things you invest in or or for other investors to look at?
1: Yeah, you know, they are very useful. And, you know, I I give a talk where where, uh, the SDG, you know, their very colorful uh, uh, chart is one of the slides that I put up. And I say, you know, these are the risks and the mitigations we need to think about, uh, not, you know, backwards-looking uh, correlation with other stocks. This is the real economy. Uh, I I forget who who said it, so I won't try to attribute the quote, but there's there's a well-known quote that uh, from these days of exploration that uh, goes something like, you know, the map is not the terrain. And when we look around us at the real world and how the economy is unfolding on the ground, uh, we see the terrain, and it's important not not to stress out on the old map of how one should classically construct a portfolio and see the world for what it is and and build your stock basket on, on that basis. And the STGs give an interesting way to think about that. Uh, our own methodology of of expressing uh, a company's revenues uh, in terms of whether it is, they are derived from creating solutions or causing problems uh, is a different way to do that. But it's funny when you uh, slice your portfolio candidates uh, with that razor uh, and decide which ones belong in and which ones belong out. All the ones that belong in, it does turn out, are addressing one or more of the sustainable development goals. So so we, we uh, built our methodology uh, in parallel with the folks who are building the SDGs, but we kind of came to the same place. And I think there's a very good reason for that. I think it's because if if you're willing to, to take a hard look uh, at the world as it is, you can see what the big risks are and what needs to be
0: addressed. Um, now, I, I, I am interested in in, in uh, getting a perspective on on uh, looking at it from the we could call it the SDGs. That's just one framework, um, but in terms of the biggest the, the biggest problems that we're facing and the the most the ones that have the biggest impact, the biggest the most disastrous impact if they're not if we if we don't do something about um, and and you know. I, I'm interested in your observation about, you know, using that, uh, that thinking about that as a way of measuring risk rather than, or in addition to, you know, some of the more traditional measures of risk. So I'm wondering what are some of the areas that you think are, uh, you know, most crucial and, 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 and what do you think is happening? Uh, a very big question we could talk for a long time, just maybe one or two examples that, uh, you know, areas that you think are, are important, and, uh, you know, and things that are happening. And I know, for example, you know, renewable energy. I know, uh, we, we talked a little bit earlier, um, I think, um, about drawdown, uh, listing these, you know, uh, the most effective ways of mitigating carbon and also working out the costs and the returns. And I know from the energy sector that the returns are, you know, very uh, attractive compared to the investment. Not the case in, in, in all the other sectors. So presumably there's money flowing into that, whether or not it's at the you know, in terms of public companies that you'd get Get, be on your horizon or not is another question. But um, so I'm just wondering about maybe one or two areas that you think one or two risks that you see, and 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 some maybe maybe uh, ways of dealing with it.
1: Yeah, sure. And you know, these days, so many companies uh, have gone public and, and do exist on on listed exchanges and, and over the counter that we we can find solutions to most risks. That also and this is important. That also have uh, a very quality business model that is scalable, that actually can uh, earn uh, profits and and have growing earnings and have increasing margins, and also exhibit all those traditional metrics of business that investors like to see. Because you know, let's let's be honest. If if a, if a solution isn't scalable and profitable to someone, it's not very likely to be deployed at scale or to ever make a difference. So we do think it is, is both and. You need to both have a fantastic business model that, has, that either is already or has uh, the relatively near future potential to, uh, to earn uh, uh, decent uh, amounts of earnings and free cash flow. Uh, and then just as critically, you need to be addressing or, or mitigating or at the very least adapting to a big systemic risk, which really comes back uh, to your actual question, uh, because, uh, again, if you're causing a risk, there's no way forward for your firm in the long run. Uh, either the risk will be mitigated and, and you know, nipped in the bud, and therefore your business model won't make sense anymore, uh, or you will have had to change your firm. And so in the public markets, there's all kinds of great solutions. You mentioned energy, uh, and, and you also mentioned drawdown. Um, these things obviously go together. Uh, And so we love the better renewable energy companies that, again, have great business models that are making money, that are poised to grow, that are the intellectual property leaders and have the widest moats around their business, Uh, the uh, leaders in making uh, certain kinds of photovoltaics, for example, or the leaders in wind energy, and then upstream and downstream of those things. Uh, How about the best inverters? Or how about the best uh, AI and machine learning that helps optimize how those things are deployed? Uh, How about the best design software uh, that allows people to place wind farms in optimal locations and optimal uh, uh, degrees of turbine distance from one another? These things are all very important uh, to the next economy. And then uh, in terms of drawdown or at least decarbonization, uh, let's let's point out that almost everything that runs on liquid BTU, if not everything, uh, in other words, uh, liquid fossil fuels, it uh, needs to be replaced by something that doesn't. Everything in the economy needs to be electrified in order for us to stem our biggest systemic risks around climate change, right? So this means not only your car, which uh, is, is an obvious one around transportation, but, you know, also your water heater and your clothes dryer. All these things need to run on and your stove. These things need to run on the basis of electricity, and electrification of the economy is the only way that indefinitely renewable energies can be brought to bear on every aspect of our, of our economic lives, and therefore really results in meaningful drawdown. So there are all kinds of interesting ways to invest up and down all those value chains around uh, true electrification of the whole global economy. Um, but these aren't the only risks. You know, we also mentioned uh, water degradation and farmland degradation. Uh, Now, these form a nexus with energy, certainly, uh, in that uh, a lot of energy extraction and production does a lot to damage water and does a lot to damage topsoil, um, as does global warming itself. So it's it's not entirely like these risks can be entirely disambiguated from one another, uh, and yet we can address them separately in our investment portfolios. So... Uh, one or more UN agencies uh, recently put out a report I, uh, maybe I could figure out which one it, it was in my big pile uh, here and, and, and uh, email it to you later <laughs> yes. saying that uh, you know given the, the rate of uh, nitrogenation and of pesticide use and of herbicide use uh, in the United States there might be about 60 harvests left in the topsoil of the, of the Midwest uh, well this is scary stuff and, and it's uh, very direct risk uh, around uh, resource degradation. You know, we've just, we've just uh, hammered that poor soil for so many decades now, and, and they basically carpet bond with glyphosate every every year in order to keep their uh, their uh, unwanted uh, uh, other plants besides the crops that they're growing out of their fields that it's really having a damaging long-term effect on the soil. Yes. And yes. what are our responses to that? Well, uh, you could say, uh, well we need to engage in organic farming. Well that's true, but what about more innovative responses? Uh, what about indoor farming? What about putting your, you know, your farm right next to a population center inside a giant uh, array of shipping containers so that uh, one, everything is always naturally organic all the time because you're keeping pests and weeds out just because it's indoors, and two, it's right next to your population center so you don't have uh, the carbon intensity of shipping stuff long directions, uh, long distances, and then uh, the biggest problem with it is, uh, three, you've got to use grow lights instead of just the sun. Well, so you better be doing that on the basis of renewable energy and, and having panels all over your indoor farm so you're not burning fossil fuels to grow your indoor farm. So here we see the nexus of energy and topsoil degradation and water and, uh, and food. So uh, the, the economy is right now extremely fertile with interesting places to look for your investments in ways that are really solving problems and make huge amount of economic
0: sense. Fascinating, fascinating. I just want to quickly come back to, you were talking about the energy and we've seen uh, dramatic falls uh, in in the costs of uh, solar energy and, and indeed in wind energy and deployment. And I'm just wondering, uh, to what extent do you have a sense of the the cost curves for these, and and where are we in in, in the cost curves? I I, I know, uh, you know, silicon and Moore's law probably gives us a bad uh, <laughs> a benchmark because nothing is is going to compare, presumably, with that in terms of the kind of costs, uh, the the falling costs o- over time. But to what extent do you think um, how, I, I guess the question is how scalable are these to what extent you know, are there big lumpy fixed costs, and to what extent you know as you double or triple the installed base of of you know, solar and, and wind energy? Can you expect to see uh, it's quite a technical question I'm <laughs> sorry um, yeah, I, no it's... get your sense of that because it's it, it's it, we, it's just such a uh, a sea change really in in how fast uh, the, the you know the, this has all happened
1: so fast and I think it's one reason uh, equity managers are having a hard time keeping up it's just you know we we still uh are are operating with these uh Uh, brains that evolved in the stone age that think of change in very linear terms. And yet we live in, in times that are changing geometrically and it's very hard for us to assimilate just, just as people. And so it is understandable. And yeah, in the, in the case of solar and wind, and now increasingly, we're also uh, seeing it with storage uh, notably, but not exclusively battery storage, uh, prices falling so fast and deployments increasing so much as a result that, You know, the projections of the International Energy Agency, the IEA, have just been reduced to the level of a joke. They're so far uh, behind in their projections of where renewables are going to grow that nobody even takes them seriously anymore. And even change has been so fast that even the most optimistic projections of, you know, four and five years ago of entities like Greenpeace have been outstripped by reality. So, you know, when you've eclipsed the dream of Greenpeace in terms of solar deployments, uh, you know you're really witnessing, as you called it, a sea change, and there's no question that we are. And you're, you're right about the technicalities of of the technology uh, involved, and Moore's law and Wright's law certainly uh, come into play. And uh, not and we've proven that even our best technologists can't predict how much they're going to fall, but fall further they surely will. I can one thing I can do with a lot of certainty is point to recent history. And uh, you, you're probably aware that uh, the United States has recently decided to uh, put tariffs on imports of solar panels to the extent of about 30 percent past two and a half gigawatts uh, of imports. Well, uh, smart uh, commentators have noted that the price of solar is falling so fast that uh, even this, this tariff has only set solar pan- imported solar panels back to the price where they were without a tariff in 2016. Uh, So (laughs) this isn't this isn't that big of a penalty. And as prices for solar continue to fall, uh, they'll be back at their uh, late 2017, early 2018 parity within a couple of years anyway. And then the tariffs fall off. So.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, finally, are you optimistic? Um, You know, you you spend your time looking at. solutions for some of the biggest problems that we're facing investment uh, opportunities around those um climate change in itself is 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 such a huge risk and and one which um even on the the kinds of uh, most optimistic figures that countries are uh, achieving or are setting out to achieve in terms of decarbonization we're still way off what it'll take um even to you know hit the paris accord um What's your take? How how, how do you see the the, the change uh, taking place?
1: Well, the truth is that as fast as change is occurring, as we were just discussing, that we uh, are already up against some bad outcomes. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, I think a lot of people were shocked to see that global emissions actually went up a little bit in 2017 after two years of leveling off. Uh, this, is, this is not a great uh, sign for our forward prospects, and it does show that uh, nations uh, and corporations, even though they are evolving and are taking these challenges more seriously, are not moving fast enough. So these are reasons to be pessimistic. Uh, reasons to be optimistic, though, are how fast change is occurring and, and how rapidly innovation is advancing to meet these challenges. And not only is innovation more rapid than ever, but its rate of acceleration is more rapid than ever. So we're seeing this very interesting moment in history where our biggest challenges and our ability to meet them are rising simultaneously. And uh, honestly, for a little to directly answer your question, I, I, I think the best I can say is that I believe we are walking on a nice edge And it is yet to be revealed whether we fall off in the direction of an unimaginably better future or an unimaginably worse future. It could still very much go either way. And we need to take these challenges seriously to give uh, ourselves the best probability of, of falling off the right side of the knife's edge.
0: Yes, yes. What's next for Green Alpha, Garvin?
1: We're going to continue to grow. Uh, we're going to add a couple of new products. We are uh, talking to a couple of new partners uh, about getting uh, larger uh, distribution networks for our sustainably-focused uh, portfolios because there is, you know, speaking of change, uh, some of the traditional traditional investment banks that couldn't spell sustainability uh, five years ago uh, are now uh, knocking on our door asking uh, about ways in which we might collaborate uh, so we're looking forward to getting our, our products available to more and more people and therefore getting more assets chasing uh, these sustainability-focused stocks and therefore continuing to, to gain market share away from the old economy. So, you know, uh, everyone needs to contribute what they, what they can, and what we know how to do is manage portfolios. So that's where we're trying to, uh, to uh, work for change, and uh, we're, we're hoping to continue to grow and, and at the rate that we have been in the last three years and uh, continue uh, making our contribution there.
0: Well, I wish you the very best of success with your venture, and thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about the great work you're doing at Green Alpha. Thank you for listening to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. I hope you found this interview valuable. Please make sure to visit financingsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.